If you've been here for any length of time, you know that our theme in 2016 is strong and courageous. We are in at Northside. If you have not been here for a while, you know that we are in time of, of transition. I am, uh, have just started this year as the preaching minister, and Steve Tander, Tandy, our former preaching minister, is still here, still on staff, uh, working with the Know Your Bible ministry. Times of transition are hard uh, it makes us focus on the things that we're afraid of and makes us linger back and want security instead of doing what God calls us to do. So we are looking to uh, make sure that we're encouraged and of good courage in 2016 with our theme verse being Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, when Israel was also in a time of transition of leadership. And there God says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And hopefully we're being reminded as we walk through this journey together that that's the most important thing. Where we go, how we go there, those are very uh, much secondary to who walks with us. As part of this journey, we have been uh, working through the Northside 90 Days Bible Reading Schedule. Now, I realize that not everyone is able to do that, or maybe you have your own Bible reading schedule. The point is that you're in the Word. And I'm very encouraged by the, the pictures and the videos and the posts. Uh, here's one today from Zane Pierman. This is a little video, um, and uh, hopefully you can yeah. hear him. Each other just as I have loved it. You, Zane Pierman reading there from John chapter 15. That does my heart good. Sometimes it's easy to get discouraged. Sometimes it's easy to be discouraged. Seeing a video like that reminds me of the good that the word does, especially in the lives of our children. I especially loved uh, not just the video, but what <clears throat> his mother, Julie Pierman, wrote. He said, she says, he, Zane and Alyssa make sure we read the Bible every day. Can you believe that I have to say the words, we are not reading the Bible until your rooms are clean. <laughs> we are reading the New Testament in 90 days. That's powerful, not just because we're doing it today, but because... Those words that he's plugging into his heart will have an impact long after everyone in this room is farther along in their journey or have gone on to their reward. So I want to encourage you to stick with the Bible reading program. Today is day number 43, which means we're about half done. Next week we'll have more behind us than we do in front of us. Let me say just a word about Bible reading I can tell you this from personal experience. Most of the Northside Bible reading uh, by day is two or three chapters every day. I can sit down in that pew and, and knock that out before I get up to preach. 10, 15, 20 minutes of Bible reading by myself. But when I'm doing it with two young children, it can take a lot longer. And I have to use a lot more creativity. And sometimes I get frustrated at how long it takes. And I wonder if it's worth doing. And maybe you feel the same way with or without children. Maybe you get behind or you, you get discouraged because you're so far behind or you think it's too late. I, I want to emphasize to you that 
For those of you like me who are very task-oriented people, the goal is checking off the box. The goal is getting it done. But let me offer you up to you this morning something that one of our elders encouraged me with. He said, remember that the goal in reading the Bible is not to know the Bible, but to know the author. The goal then is communion, not completion. So whether you're in the, in the Bible one day or every day for 90 days or 365 days, get to know the author. Connect with him by any means possible. And remember, it's communion, not completion. We love to hear your stories, your pictures, your videos, your emails of encouragement and text messages that say, here's what I read today, here's how I communed with God, and here's how it impacted me. We are beyond just our 2016 theme of Strong and Courageous. We have been in this series called The Blessing. And we are looking at this, all of these different ways in which God blesses us, understanding that the goal is not to just be proud of our blessings, but to really ask the question, what am I doing with the blessings that God has given me? Last week, we talked about our time. And we said that the scriptures tell us to teach us to number our days aright. And for the next several days, all I had in my Facebook feed was number after number after number. You people have a lot of numbers. I know I told you to do that, but now I hope you're thinking seriously about what you're doing with the number that you have, with the time that you're, that you're given. Of course, none of us knows how much we have, but it is a blessing that God's given us, the gift of time. How we bless the Lord is then what we do with that time. Today, we're going to talk about talent. And I want to start by telling you about a guy, a guy who used to sit in these pews, a guy who blessed a lot of people, very talented fellow. Oh, he was a smart guy, but not the smartest in the world. He was a talented guy, but the world probably didn't recognize him. You wouldn't see him on any viral videos or American Idol. He wasn't talented or smart in that kind of way. Now, this guy, he had his own unique sense of fashion. He had these nice suspenders that he wore. And almost every Sunday morning, you'd see him standing right outside those south doors. And he greeted everyone with a smile and with a hug and with a word of encouragement. Bob Kingsley, the talented man. I never heard Bob Kingsley teach a class. I know he never preached a sermon. But that man's life preached more than I or Steve, either one, could have preached. If you came to his funeral and were blessed to hear his family and sons share about the blessing and the impact of his life, and you saw how full the room was, you realized that Bob's talents were not just used here at Northside. He used them everywhere he went. He impacted people with a kind word, a hug, a smile, over and over and over again. Now, in the realm of talents, that's not on the, on the edge of, you know, curing cancer or doing something amazing or bringing some new invention. These are very small Simple, easy things to do. But Bob was of a mindset that he was going to take the talents that God had given him and he would use them over 
and over and over again. So that every time after he left this world and went on to his reward, and I come to that south door, a part of me aches. Because there's a man who used his talents well. When I talk to you this morning about using your talent, the problem that the world has ingrained into us is that you're only talented if you're mega rich and mega famous and and that everybody knows your name. And that's not what using the blessing of talent is all about. It's about using the things which God has given you to bless the world and to make it better. It is the blessing of talent It's not the big things that matter. It's not the small things that matter. It's an intentional decision by those who own the talents to use them every day to impact their church, to impact their community, to leave a a legacy and a lasting mark in the world. This reminds us of our first point, that God has given everyone unique Gifts. In Genesis chapter 1, in the creation story, you'll notice a phrase often repeated that God sees and he creates something and it says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And in verse 31 of chapter 1, the scripture tells us God looked at everything and behold, it was good. You see, it's impossible for the Lord To create anything that's not good. Everything he creates is good. From the the vast galaxies that we haven't even discovered yet. Black holes and stars and suns and comets all have a purpose in this world. All the way down to the very small. to, To the cellular level. To the atomic level with Protons and neurons and electrons. It is all for a purpose. And somewhere between the big and the small in Genesis chapter 1, God made Adam and Eve. And he had purpose for them too. Psalm chapter 139 tells us that the Lord knit you Together in your mother's womb. Some time ago, that number you figured out last week, that time in your mother's womb, God was knitting you together. Now, if it's true that everything God creates is good and everything that God creates has purpose, I want you to think about this. That those moments in the womb when he was knitting you together one chromosome at a time. God had a reason for creating you. He has a purpose for your life. He looked around at the world that is and said there's something it needs, and that is you. God gave you a purpose, and he gave gave you unique gifts to fulfill that purpose. If you go all the way to James chapter 1, I think it's verse 17. And the scripture there says... Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. Oh, if you're a parent with a small child, especially a very new baby at that good, glorious stage when all they do is sleep and smile. 
And you're so proud as you hold them, you just couldn't be more proud. You need to know that as proud as you think you are of that little baby, God is prouder. God has a purpose for that little boy or little girl. And it's up to you as parents to teach that child to know him and to love him so that they can fulfill their purpose that he has for them. Everyone has been gifted by God. Everyone has a purpose and a reason. If we look at the Old Testament, we have a very good example of this in Exodus chapter 35. Turn there in your Bibles. Exodus chapter 35. There's a story told about two guys who had incredible gifts. Their names were Bezaliel and Aholiab. Now, of course, with names like that, they had to be artists, right? Exodus 35, starting in verse 30, here's what the scripture says. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezaliel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled them with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for, every, for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen or by a weaver or by any workman or skilled designer. You see, God had a problem, and the problem was simply this. His people were nomadic. They were traveling from one place to the next. And if God was going to dwell among them, he needed a place. But when you're traveling, you know, you travel with very temporary provisions for shelter, tents and tabernacles. Well, God needed a tent or a tabernacle that was, well, not an ordinary, but an extraordinary one. And so he needed a couple of characters who were very gifted in the skill of artistry and woodwork and stone cutting. He needed guys with vision and ability and skills. And so he put the spirit of God within them to give them these skills and to teach others to have those skills so that they might create for him an ornate, beautiful, exquisite tapestry in which he might dwell. That's a simple problem, and God assigned Bezaliel and Aholiab to be the people who would be the solution. Now, that's a very specific example in Scripture. But I want you to think for just a moment, what did God give you the natural ability to do? What part of your story gives you a message that no one else has and are you using that story for his glory? Are you using your talents for his glory? God gave them specific skills and ability. He, he infused them with his spirit who would teach them to do these things. And yet, and this is so important, they had to choose to let God use them. They had to decide if they were going to let the Lord use his hands very literally. 
They could have sat down and said, well, I'm not going to do it. You know, I don't feel qualified to do it. You know, there's lots of other people. I'd just like to sit back and watch them do it. No, they had to choose just as we have to choose. What about us? Well, let's turn to the Old, I'm sorry, the New Testament and look to Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. And here's what the scripture says. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If a man's gift is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him stand at the south door and smile and hug and remind people that God loves them. If it is contributing to the needs of others... Let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. You see, all of these gifts are things that God has given us to do. And and I don't by any means think this is an exhaustive list. I think Paul's just trying to make a point here. That if you've got a skill or an ability or a story or some people continually compliment Hey, you're good at this. Boy, you really excel at this. I really could use your help with this because you're good at that. That's God telling you, I've given you that. But you have to make the choice, like Bezaliel and Holyab, that you are going to use that, not for yourself, but for God and for his kingdom. Paul gives us, notice each, each verse there in Romans chapter 12 starts with the word if. And we focus a lot on the ifs. If only I had this talent. If only I could speak like that. If only I could teach like that. Oh, if only I could do that. And I think that's the wrong focus. I think it's not about the ifs. I think we've all got something, if we think about it, that God's given us. The, the, The point is what he says after the if. He says, if then... If it is serving, then let him serve. If it is teaching, then let him teach. It's, it's not a matter of if you have it. It's a matter of what you're going to do with what you have. Remember the, the parable of the talents from Matthew 25. We've talked about that last week. There was a, a man with five talents, a steward with five talents, a, a steward with two talents, and a steward with one talent. The focus was not on how many talents they received. Of course, a talent was a unit of money, about $1,000. It was not about how much they received. It was what they did with what they received that made the difference. Whatever your gift is, whatever your if is, that's not the point. The point is, what are you doing with your gift? God's entrusted that to you. How have you used that? Whatever your gift is, you need to get about the business of using it to glorify him. Your gifts have a purpose. Number one is to glorify him. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse five says our competence comes from God. 
whether it was Bezaliel and Aholiab who were using their artistic skill to build the tabernacle, whether it was Peter using the gift of his mouth, which got him in trouble so many times, and yet he preached over and over and over again as the church began to spread. Whatever your gift is, your purpose is not to use that gift to glorify yourself. I have a hard time with this. This is one of the weird things about preaching a little inside baseball. But, but when I'm done preaching, my job is to walk back there and, and say hi to people and be nice to everybody. And there's some unwritten rule that most of you feel obligated to say, man, that was a good job. I appreciate that message. Hey, that makes me feel very self-conscious. Because it's not about me. And it's not about my gift. And if I, it's, it's an easy temptation to think that because so many people are telling you that, that it is about you. And it's not. The movie Chariots of Fire, there's a story of a missionary. And it's a beautiful story. I won't go through all of it. But, but there's this line in there where he says he's a great, gifted, talented runner. Very fast. And he says, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. (laughs) When you use your gift, whatever it is, one talent, two talent, five talents, you are feeling his pleasure. You are glorifying God through the use of your talent, not for your own self-glory, not for your paycheck, not for anything alone, but God's glory to him be all glory and honor and power and wisdom. I'm going to try when you compliment my sermon just to simply say God is good because when I preach, I feel his pleasure. And that's not about me. That's about him. First Corinthians chapter four, verse two says this. Those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. If God gives you a gift for administration, for organization, for finances, for evangelism, for speaking, for teaching, whatever it is, and you don't use it, you dishonor the one who gave you the gift. That's what stewardship is about. Secondly, Your gift, the purpose of your gift is to serve others. First Peter chapter four, verse 10 says this. Each of you. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You know. I hadn't really thought about that verse specifically, but that says that God's grace takes on various forms. I think about Randy and Kenita and their work with the CR ministry, Doug and Karen too, lots of good folks doing good work. But when people come in from the world and they enter into our building and they've got a lot of baggage and a lot of heartache and a story. And, and they just don't, church feels like the last place that they need to be. And they see a Doug or a Randy or a Kanita or a Karen or any of you leaders. 
They are seeing a personification of God's grace. Now, you don't think about it that way, but when you hug them, you are showing them God's grace. When you are welcoming them, you are showing them God's grace. When you are using your gift, what you're doing is so much more than using your gift. You are manifesting his grace. Oh, what a pleasure. What a... What an honor to be able to not to use my gift for me, but to use my gift to show God's grace to other people. My question for you, my challenge for you this morning is this. At church, and I don't just mean at the building, but like with the people, the church, okay? Are you, are you a giver? Are you just a receiver? Are you just happy to let someone sit back and, and, and provide the lunch at guest lunch and to teach your class and, and to teach your children and your grandchildren? Are you just happy to let someone else do it? That's not the, you see, you're misusing, you're dishonoring God by not in actively engaging your gift to serve someone else. The other day I was, went back to guest lunch and Annie Downey, God bless her, she was back there doing something, and she just came up and she gave me a hug, and she said, I couldn't do what you do. And I said, Annie, I couldn't do what you do. I couldn't do half of what you do. You see how the body works? We got different parts, each doing things that other parts can't do, that other parts depend on. We've got to use our gift to serve. And finally, we've got to use our gift to improve life in general. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm not going to go through all the verses, but Paul alludes to the fact that Timothy's gift was preaching and teaching. He was an evangelist. And, and he says this several times. He says, don't neglect your gift. Guard your gift. Kindle your gift afresh. It, it, he's saying to Timothy... You've been given this gift that was given to you. Now use it to make the church a better place. Now, I, I just that's an example of an evangelist. But, but you need to think about what gift God has given you to make the church a better place. Maybe it's administration. Maybe it's leadership. Maybe it's the ability to give financially. Maybe it's the ability to serve I don't know what it is. I'm just saying it doesn't have to be a big thing or a small thing. That's not the point. The point is, are you using the gift or gifts that you've been given? And finally, one other word about using your gifts. Northside needs to be a place where we encourage others in the using of their gifts. By that, I mean we need to show gratitude and appreciation for those who use their gifts week in, week out. A simple example, when you come in and, and the people there who are greeting you, you know they have to get here early and they have to put on a bright smiley face whether they feel like it or not. They have to be ready to look for guests and members and to, to distinguish between the two. They have to try to help people and that's a big job. They are the first face of Northside. When they hug you, have you ever stopped to say, thank you? Thank you for doing a good job of telling the world about Jesus and that Northside is a place where you're welcome.
It's a simple thing that often goes overlooked. Some people believe that their spiritual gift is criticism. Some people look for fault like there's a reward for it. The scripture says, do all things without complaining or disputing. Yes, criticism, complaining, whining, it is a spiritual gift of the enemy. He's using your tongue to bring people down, to cause division. And it may not, you may not even be aware of it. It's just one simple offhanded comment. It's just one, one moment of ingratitude and unappreciation. If you criticize, you aren't using your gift and you aren't encouraging others to use theirs. At Northside, I feel like we generally do pretty good. But you need to know that Northside is and will continue to be a place where we are problem fixers, not problem finders. That's easy to do. Anyone can complain about how someone else is using your gift. What we do here at Northside is we use our gift and we encourage others to use their gift. And that doesn't mean things are always perfect, but we work together. We understand we're on the same team. We encourage one another. So to Ernie and Rosalie, thank you for unlocking the doors to the building every every week faithfully. They do so much. They turn on the lights. They get the communion all ready. They do that faithfully week in and week out. To Jennifer Douglas and Mary Allen and Stacy Yeoman, to Meredith Hendricks, Virginia Bogart, and Anita Weathers, thank you for teaching our children every week faithfully. To the Hayes and the Triplets and the Durhams and the Edwards and the Andrews and the Downies and Nate Cachero and all of you who lead a class here at Northside, sending out emails, keeping prayer requests, sending out birthdays, anniversaries. That's a big job. Thank you for doing it. Mark Twain once said, I can go for two months on a good compliment. I can live so long off of encouragement. And I think the opposite is true as well. Most people quit because they aren't encouraged. Most people give up because they're not thanked. Not that that's what it should be about, but sometimes it's just nice to be noticed you're using your gift. And if you're only receiving and you're not on the giving end, I want you to think about how you can grow your gifts. Let's talk about that. First, you need to plant your gifts early. We are, we've had an unseasonably warm winter, and uh, this last week, my lawn service guy called and said, hey, I'm coming out to put the pre-emergent on. And, and it got me to thinking, you know, in that industry, you've got to always be thinking about what the next crop is. Right, Travis? You've got to be thinking about what's coming up next. Well, if you're here at Northside, or if you, especially if you place membership... What are you what gifts have you have you just jumped in? Are you ready to use your gifts? Are you just sitting back saying, I wonder when somebody's going to ask me to be involved? That's not how it works here, folks. If you're going to be at Northside, we want you to plant your gifts early. We want you to jump in 
Mark Yakely told me this story, so believe it or not, I don't know. Um, the, uh, every, every once or twice a year, he and Brian Middleton do a new members class. And he'll go through talking about some of this very stuff. And one of the things he'll do is go through the involvement survey, which he's asked all of you to fill out. And some of you will and some of you won't. But he encourages new members to fill that out. And he was going through different ministries. And he said, well, you know, we've got this, the holiday baskets. And we've had somebody who's faithfully done this for years. She's looking for some help. She's just kind of looking to transition out of it. But we just can't find anybody to do it. Here's the spunky Abby Griffith. And she just, she's been, a, just, she barely, hasn't been a member maybe six months. And she says, I'll do that. And she hasn't seen it been done. She hasn't been asked directly to do it. She just sees there's an opportunity and she jumps in. And she did a great job. And all of them did. Everybody who was involved with that ministry has done a great job. But it takes someone who sees a need and says, I'll do it. You know, we think of Isaiah saying, here am I, send me. And we think about preaching the gospel. And that's part of what it's about. But I think we ought to have that attitude in our using our gifts as well. Secondly, we've got to nurture often. Um, this is sort of an odd thing to ask you to do. But somewhere on your body, I want you to uh, find a muscle. Just kind of feel it, flex it a little bit. I know I'm about to bust out of this suit. You can't see, but we've all got muscles. And muscles only grow when you exercise them. If you don't, they atrophy. Now, if you if some of you had a hard time finding a muscle, so I'll give you this next one for free. Find some fat. Now, here is this. What is fat? Fat is simply unused energy. We got a lot of fat churches in our world today. A lot of folks sitting around and not exercising the gifts that God has given them to use. We need to nurture your gifts. And the only way you nurture is by exercising, being willing and able and coachable and teachable and never stopping. Finally, you've got to prune well. I wanted to say this. You can't do everything. And there are some people who, God bless them, they try. (laughs) But that wasn't how God intended the church to be. God wants you to focus specifically on the gifts that you have. And it may be one, but it may be two or five. But do those things and do them really well. And that means sometimes you have to say no to doing good things so that you can focus on doing the right things. You've probably heard the expression, How do you eat an elephant? What's the answer? How do you eat an elephant? Everybody says one bite at a time. That's not true. The truth is how you eat an elephant is with lots and lots of forks. I'm serious. We get this idea that, you know, I've got to sit down and eat this elephant one bite at a time. No, that's not how we work in Northside. We work in teams. We get lots of people focused on one thing and doing that with excellence. Every week on Wednesday night for several months, the the Women Walking with God conference uh, team, management team, has been doing just that. They've been organizing people to focus on just one or two things and doing that really, really well. And so people come to Northside events and they go, man, how do you do the women's conference or work camp or so many of these other great things we do? And you know what? We have many, many teams. We have lots and lots of forks. 
Everybody taking a bite together. Colossians chapter 3.23 says this. Whatever you do, work heartily. Not for the ministry leader, not for the deacon, not even for the elders, but for the Lord and not for men. We need to keep that in mind and grow your gifts. One final question for you is this. What will you take to your grave? Solomon says this, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave, where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave. Where you are going. What will you take to your grave? I hope that the answer is nothing. I hope that you will have spent everything you have and give the grave nothing because you've spent it all. John Acuff wrote this. He said, At the end of my life, if I've only accomplished a comfortable life, my days have been wasted. If at the end of my life, the only thing I've fought for is my own name, my days have been wasted. If at the end of my life, the only thing I've cared about is my own care, my days have been wasted. If at the end of my life, the only thing I've stood for is my own reputation, my days have been wasted. If at the end of my life, the only thing I've traded are works for rewards, my days have been wasted. May we not go to the grave quietly. May we not make refuse of the gifts or the life we've been given. May we never chase the shiny in place of the holy, the trend instead of the truth, the immediate instead of the eternal. Arrive empty to the grave, having given all you were given, stewarded all you were tasked with, give the grave only your bones. Spend it all. That's what God intends you to do. To take nothing to the grave, but to use everything you've been given to bless others. Will you be able to say on the judgment day, I used everything you gave me? My prayer is that you will. My other prayer is that you're ready for the judgment day. If you're not ready, you need to know Christ. You need to put him on in baptism. You need to begin this journey with him. He has things for you to do. It's time to get busy for all of us. If you have a need, please come as together we stand and sing.